When I announced the sermon title this morning, Obedient Faith, it's very possible that for many of us that may seem like an oxymoron. Now, an oxymoron is two words that appear to contradict each other. And so if I were to say hot snow, or if I were to say cold fire, you would know those are oxymorons. And obedient faith may seem like that to us because we know obedience is a work, faith is not a work. So we tend to see these two words as entirely distinct, perhaps even separate from one another. But the Bible says the two words are very intimately connected. In fact, you cannot have one without the other. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 1 and in chapter 16 speaks about the obedience of faith. And then you know James in James chapter 2, not once but twice, says faith without works is dead. That's right. And so why is this so important that it is crucial for us to get this straight in our thinking and in our living? Well, I want you to listen with me to two past Christian leaders and what they had to say about the importance of obedient faith. Here's what Pastor John Calvin had to say. All true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. All true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. And then Corey Tenboom, who survived the Nazi concentration camp, said this, when we are obedient, God guides our steps and our stops. Isn't that good? When we are obedient, it is then that God guides our steps and our stops. So we can't know God properly, we can't experience God's guidance in our life effectively without obedient faith. Now perhaps the person who teaches us this so clearly is Abraham, because the Bible tells us as soon as he believed, he began to obey. As soon as he believed, he began to obey. And I want you to take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to turn back to Genesis 12 and follow now the calling of Abraham and look at the obedience of Abraham starting in verses 4 through 9. And I would like you to take your Bibles there and let me read for you the Word of God, and then we will see what it is that obedience does for the true believer. And so listen to the Scriptures So Abram went out as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going towards the Negev, way to the south. What is it that obedience does for us in the Christian life? Well, to begin with, your obedience proves your faith. 
Your obedience is what proves your faith is real and genuine. Now, verse 4 tells us that Abram went as the Lord had told him. Underline that phrase. Highlight it in your Bibles. Because it is the secret to Abraham's entire life, God's word caused him to do what he did. We are being told here that this is not a natural migration from one place to another. He did what he did for one reason and one reason alone. God's word said so. And for us to understand how difficult and how challenging this was, it becomes clear that he left his aged father behind. As you look at the details in Genesis chapter 11, Terah, the father of Abraham, went with him from Ur up to Haran in the Fertile Crescent. It was there that God renewed his call to Abraham to come down into Canaan. Terah, at that point of the second call, was 145 years of age. He was very likely too old to travel. It would be 60 more years before Terah would die. So Abram now is the only son who is with his father, responsible for his care. And you know how important that was in that culture, don't you? There was every reason to stay in Haran with his dad. But what did Abram do? He left Terah in the care of others. And he went on to Canaan in obedience to God. Now, God will not call most of us to leave our families. That's not what he will do generally in most of our lives. But some of us, he will. Many of you know that I had to leave my 86-year-old father behind when the Lord called us. And uh, he wrote to me a letter giving me all the reasons why I should stay. And I want to tell you, that's a hard letter to, to get from your dad. I mean, essentially, he was saying <laughs> to me, please don't leave. But then he made it easy. Because he wrote in the letter, you need to be sure you follow God's leading. And that's what Abraham knew. Abraham knew the Lord is calling. I put my trust in him. I must obey. The New Testament puts it so simply, by faith Abraham obeyed. Pastor A.W. Tozer said this, true faith commits us to obedience. True faith commits us to obedience. And that is so exciting, no matter how the challenge is, because what it means is your faith is alive. Your faith is not dead. Your faith is real and genuine. And despite whatever hardship comes, we know my obedience is springing from a faith that is real and true and genuine. Your obedience proves your faith. Second thing we learn here about obedience from Abraham is your obedience influences others. Your obedience will begin to influence others. One of the first things that started happening was Abraham began sharing his faith. He started 
witnessing. By the way, can you imagine what some of those conversations must have been like? You ever thought about this? Oh, honey, God has uh, spoken to me. No, I, I'm not kidding. And, and not the moon God, but the creator of heaven and earth. And he says he wants to bless me. And I'm now to pack all my belongings and move to the land of Canaan. We're going to travel a thousand miles to Canaan and live amongst the Canaanites in tents. Isn't that wonderful? How do you break that kind of news to your wife, your family, and your friends without them thinking the witch doctor has put a hex on you? And yet, look what happens. His wife became a believer. In verse 5, her name is called Sarai before it is changed later on. Sarai comes from Saratu, the wife of the moon god. Think about this. Her parents dedicated her to the moon god. And now she is a believer. And then his nephew Lot became a believer. Lot's father had passed away and Abraham adopted him. He now is an adult and he becomes a believer. And then some of his friends became a believer. By the time we get to a certain chapter a little bit later, there's over 300 in this unit. And when the Bible says in verse 5, describing this as the people they had acquired in Haran, the word people there is the normal word uh, in the Hebrew language for souls. This then is not the normal word for servants. These were converts. Converts. Here's what Matthew Henry says about them. He says they were converts that they had made and persuaded to worship the true God and to go with them to Canaan. And you just got to say, wow, his wife, his adopted nephew, many friends became believers along with him. Now we simply have to ask the question, how did Abraham pull this off? How did he convince idol-worshiping pagans that he was not nuts, right? Well, I think they saw that Abram's life was radically transformed. I think they saw this encounter with God that he had changed him. Abram was now a different man. He was really going to go. He was going to forsake all and go to Canaan and follow God. And here's what the people who knew him, I'm sure, understood. This is not a reckless fanatic. That's not who he is. He has really met God. You see, Abraham's obedience made him a force in his world and it inspired others to believe as well. Your obedience influences others. I want to ask you, who do you suppose made this comment? One act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. 
you suppose said that? One act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. If you guessed it's the man whose act of obedience got him hung by the Nazis, the German martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you would be correct. One act of obedience, he said, is better than 100 sermons. And if we really want to be a force in our world, an obedient life is the greatest sermon. If we want to be a force in our world, an obedient life is always the greatest sermon. Now there's something else obedience will do for us. Your obedience pleases God. Your obedience pleases God. When Abraham finally arrived in Canaan, God did two things in the Genesis record that he did for the very first time as far as the Genesis record is. In verse 7, the Bible says, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, as you know, the book of Acts says that God appeared first to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldeans. So this is actually now the second appearance. But as far as the book of Genesis is concerned, this is the very first time that God appears to Abraham or to any other patriarch. The second thing that happens, according to verse 7, is the Lord said to your offspring, I will give this land. Now remember, earlier in verse 1, the Lord had simply said to Abraham, I will show you this land. Now for the first time, he says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Now I have to stop here and say this. What are we to make of these true, extraordinary first-time events in Genesis? God is pleased with Abraham's obedience. Plain and simple, obedience pleases God. You know, Jesus said things very similar to this. In Mark 12 and verse 30, Jesus said this, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What is Jesus saying there? God is pleased with obedience and God rewards obedience. And if we are to ask this question, well, why is this? Why is God so pleased with the obedience of his children? The text gives us three answers, and those answers are here to motivate us. If we want to know why our obedience pleases God, and then what obedience does for us, they are right here in the text in the life of Abraham. Let me give them to you this morning, and then we will just take a moment to look at the first one, okay? Here is why obedience pleases God. Number one, obedience pays a price for God. 
Number two, obedience honors God with genuine worship. Before Abraham ever built an altar to worship God, he had obeyed God. He brought an obedient life to his worship. And then number three, obedience keeps us enduring for God. Let me say those again. Obedience pays a price for God. Obedience honors God with genuine worship. And obedience keeps us enduring for God. Now let's look at the first one. Obedience pays a price for God. According to verses 6 and 8, Abram's first principal stops in Canaan were Shechem and then later Bethel. Shechem was a very important city, 41 miles north of modern Jerusalem, at the center of the land. And the text says that he came to the place at Shechem. Very important word, place here, means a sacred place, a shrine. And then right there was this oak of Morah. That was a place of idol worship. Now think about what this means then. Here is Abraham in alien territory where pagan beliefs and practices are dominant everywhere. And then notice what verse 6 says. The Canaanites were in the land. Can we just say about the Canaanites they were not very nice people? Can we just describe them in that way? They were not very nice people. So here is Abraham, a foreigner in a strange land, surrounded by the worst type of people. He has no place to call home. Uh, Cannot you just imagine with me his nephew Lot scratching his head and uh, asking, Uncle Abraham, are you sure this is where God told us to come? Uncle Abraham, uh, are you sure we didn't take a wrong turn back there someplace? How many of you think this morning that Abraham paid a price for his obedience? He sure did. What a price he paid. Now let's think about this for just a moment in our own lives because it's so very important. If we make a commitment to living an obedient life, at some point, we will pay a price. If you say, I have decided to follow Jesus, there is no turning back, you will pay a price. Talk to anyone here in our church who has been following the Lord for a very long period of time, and they will tell you it has not come without cost. It could be a friend that you lose. 
Maybe even a family member who says, you know, this Jesus of yours is just way too much for me. I'm done with you. It could be an ethical, moral decision that you know you have to make and you lose some benefit. And everyone else says, well, why not do this? Look at what we're going to gain. What's the big deal? And you say, this is wrong. I cannot do this. And you lose a benefit because you have obeyed God. It could be some opposition that is very painful in your life because you have decided, I'm going to put God first. There are a lot of people who will support you if you put God second, right? But when it comes to putting God first, there are many who will say, that's too much for me. And maybe we'll even oppose you. Now here's what we need to understand. When you make the decision that despite the cost, I will obey, God is very pleased. God is very pleased. And the reason God is pleased is he knows you are doing that because you love him. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God must be pleased with love. Please see this here for what it is. Please today see this for what it is this is not a mechanical obedience by a man who says okay God I will do this because I have to do this this is a man who is in love with God there's no other reason for him to do this he is in love with God and God must be pleased with that because love for God is the greatest commandment. One act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. And the reason is very clear. Obedience is always the test of love. Obedience is always the test of faith. Let's thank the Lord together for that, shall we? Would you bow with me? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, If you're not sure that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ by repentance and faith, 
I invite you to come to him. You may come to the foot of the cross and you may call out for the saving mercy of Christ. And Jesus said, he that comes to me or she that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But know this when you come. Your life will be radically changed. And the Savior who called you is the Lord you will now obey. And it will not always be easy. In fact, sometimes it will cost you. But Jesus said, whatever you give up for his name's sake, you will receive back 100-fold. And in the life to come, eternal life. And then for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, it's truly all about loving Him. And we know the sacrifices we make for our spouses, our children, our family, our friends, are because we truly love them. And they are always pleased with genuine love. And it's the same motivation in the Christian life that it is our love for God that causes us to pay whatever price he would ask because we truly do adore him, trust him, and thank him. And this morning as we are before the Lord and Perhaps you're thinking right now of some price that you've had to pay. And you know the reason you have paid that price is because you love God first and foremost. And he is pleased with that. No matter how painful it is for you, this very day. And would you say to him from your heart, O Lord God, my desire is to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Forgive me for the times I fall short of that. But it is my desire 
my aim, my goal. Father, we express our love to you today. We are of all people most blessed. Thank you for the example of our spiritual father, Abraham. For Jesus' sake, amen.